0: with me this morning, if you would, to the book of Colossians in your New Testament. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking at the first 11 verses of the Colossians chapter 3. Continuing in the series, God told me Remember, we're trying to imagine if God spoke to us, what would he say? Because I I do think God speaks to us in a lot of different ways. And sometimes God has given credit for things that he has not said. And sometimes we misinterpret and so on and so forth. But what we're going to do in doing this series is just try to discern if God were going to speak to us in a loud voice, what would he say? So we look at scriptures and try to discern that. And so one of the things that I'm pretty sure he would say to each of us is, control yourself. With all that means. So today we're going to talk about self-control and personal responsibility and all those things that we don't like to hear about but are essential to any kind of life, in particular the Christian life. Control yourself. As always we pray. There are families dealing with life and death issues. Lisa Hamilton's family dealing with a difficult issue, unplugging. Um, father, stepfather, Leroy, Dylan, you remember him. But they will unplug the ventilator today this afternoon. So we'll be in prayer for that family. Difficult decision. You know, it's uh, some of us have been through there and know what that's like. So we'll pray for that family. We know others are dealing with difficult issues. Pray for our nation. We're divided. We fuss over everything, and we need God's help. I'll give you a few moments to pray silently where you are. I'll close and then we'll look at this passage together. Would you join me please in prayer? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we have this privilege of worship, that when we gather, you are here with us in a special way. We thank you for giving us great music, the Word of God which teaches and instructs and guides us for the presence of your Spirit who nudges us in the right direction. We pray, Father, that in this worship we would allow you to work, that we would open up our hearts to your Spirit That we would open up our minds to your word. Use this worship, Father, to bless us, to chasten us, and to encourage us to be more like Christ. Father, we begin worship acknowledging our sin. We ask for mercy. Even at our best, we are stained by our sin. We resist you. We ignore you. Sometimes we just don't care. We ask for mercy and forgiveness. Father, this morning we pray for our nation. We struggle with so many things. The list is literally endless of things by which we fight. We are lost in so many ways. Help us to find our way. Guide our leaders with those who have power over us. Give them wisdom and discernment and restraint. Help them them to understand that we are a free people, that we want to remain free and at the same time we have to stand together help us to do that we pray father for those nations that are at war comfort those that have lost loved ones guide their leaders we pray for peace as always we pray that you'd be with our soldiers and first responders and their families protect them wherever they serve comfort them in their losses help them father to do their jobs Lord, we need you in our lives every day. We ask for strength to resist sin. Help us to be loving and gracious and kind. Help us to make priorities in our lives and follow you. We love you, Father. We choose to follow you in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Has someone ever said to you, Control yourself? I hope they have. If not, you need to. My daddy was a very stern, old school kind of guy. He said, control yourself just before he whacked you in the head. So I remember those words. It hurts me right there because he always hit me right there. Control yourself, Kevin. Which meant shut your mouth, quit hitting your sister, don't bite, do not hit me back and those kinds of things control yourself I began to be aware of the fact was this key to not only avoiding problems with dad but it was a key to avoiding problems everywhere I went if I could control myself that would help not just to resist doing the dumb things that would be natural but if I could control myself I would learn how to do the right things that would bring blessings into my life our video might help you to understand a little bit of what I'm talking about if we can get that going You see, control yourself has both a positive and a negative. Control yourself, don't. Control yourself, do. Cuts both ways, doesn't it? Follow along with me, if you would. Colossians 3, or the first 11 verses. Controlling yourself was one of those essentials that early Christians had to learn. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie one to another since you laid aside the old self with his evil practices. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So you notice he didn't use the word control yourself, but he was telling them and giving them instructions as to how to live, things to do and things to not do. And there are things to do and not do. There are do's and don'ts as part of the Christian life. Now just a little bit of doctrine here you are saved by your faith in Jesus before you start anything else before you do anything good or bad you ask Jesus to save you like so many of you have and you ask Jesus to save you and you commit your life to him and he cleanses you and you're baptized in your beginning and that's a done deal you don't have to add to or take away from that you are completely saved for eternity but it is just the beginning of a life lived well And the do's and don'ts of faith is something you do after you are saved in order to not keep your salvation, but to grow in your salvation and to honor God and serve the kingdom of God. So we're talking a lot about that today too. Making good choices means control yourself and he's talking a lot about that today. So you can see on screen the ultimate act of self-control is to give over your control to Jesus almost a paradox isn't it when you ask Jesus to save you you say will you save me I will follow you and you are in essence giving control of your life over to God so the ultimate act of service and self-control is giving over control of your life and see that's counter to our culture we live in a culture where self-control and, and being your own person and all those kinds of things we're all about that Women are all about bodily autonomy and being in control of themselves and in control of their lives. Young people don't want old people to tell them what to do. Don't you tell me what to do. And guys perennially say, leave me alone. I'm going to do whatever I want. We have arguments with people all the time when we try to tell them what to do or they try to tell us what to do. Don't you tell me what to do. And we have to learn there is a way to talk that can avoid that. It's important for us to be free to be autonomous, and that's a big buzzword almost autonomous, where we're in control of our bodies, in control of our lives. So, self control is something we, we think about a lot in our culture. We want to be free. And freedom means I get to do whatever I want. At the same time, freedom in Christ means you give up that freedom to do whatever you want. Because freedom in Christ means you will do whatever God wants you to do. You give up that freedom. Interestingly enough, in another passage, Paul said that if you are free in Christ, you are actually a slave to righteousness. Because when you're free in Christ, everything you want to do may get in the way of what God wants to do in you. So you give up that absolute freedom and submit to God... And then you ultimately become the person God wants you to be. Now in the passage we read, there are several things that he talks about, which means self-control. I'll point those out to you. Look at verse 1. Keep seeking the things above. The things above means biblical teachings and things of God. Keep seeking. Whether it interests you or not isn't the point. Whether your friends are interested or not isn't the point. Keep seeking the things above means... Since you are Christian, you follow Jesus, you need to invest yourself in this. Try to find out what God wants. Try to learn biblical truth. Try to learn what God wants us to do and those kinds of things. Look in verse 2. Set your mind on things above. Again, the whole idea is changing the way you think. Instead of just thinking about this world, think about that next world. All right. I'm Christian. How does God want me to live? I'm Christian What does it mean to live in Christ's kingdom? And you start asking yourself questions like that. And when you watch a TV show or read a book or you click on a video or something that comes up on your feed or something like that, some of you know what I'm talking about, you ask yourself before you act, what is the things above? Will this video, will this book, will this movie, will this action, will it help me in God's purpose of working in my life? You have to answer that question. Verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So, you look at your body, and again, we're all about bodily autonomy, and no one tell me what I can do with my body and all those kinds of things, but freedom in Christ means you submit your bodily autonomy to God. So, what does God want you to do with your life? How does he want you to behave sexually? How does he want you to behave in terms of chemicals and alcohol and those kinds of things? And how does he want you to behave in terms of how you act with your friends? What comes out of your mouth? And so on and so forth. You know, you begin to think. And he's saying, think on these things. So see, that's a do. Not a do not, but a, a do. Think. We control ourselves with our thoughts. The scriptures teach us, don't they? Whatsoever man thinketh, so he is. So before you ever act, your thinking determines who you are. Verse 8. But now you also put them all aside. Then he lists some things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. So as Christian, you submit your freedom. So before you open your mouth, think... And I know that that gets in the way of a fast conversation. But it's a good thing, believe me. If you can think before you talk, it will be a good thing. So do that. Before you open your mouth and let somebody have it, ask, is this what God wants you to say? Everybody understands we have conflicts. Sometimes you are in a situation where you have to defend yourself and things like that. I get it. But before you speak, think. Think. God help me. And yes, it will slow things down, which is probably good. Put them all aside. Anger, wrath, just lay them down. Before you in anger act or speak, lay it down. Before you act to satisfy whatever desires you may have, ask, is this what God would have me do? You see, even though you're free in Christ, you purposely submit to biblical teachings. And that's how you become that Christian that God, that God can use. And look at verse 10. And you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So here's the goal. The goal is that you become like Jesus. What? Yes, that's the goal. You don't have to be like your friend or John the Baptist or anybody like that. But God expects you to be like Jesus. That's the expectation. Submit your will to God, and He will make you like Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean you'll become a preacher necessarily. What it does mean, though, is that you will love people that are unlovable. What it does mean is that those things that will lead you away from God, you learn to push them away. A way of thinking that gets you into trouble with other people, you'll lay that down. You begin to think clearly about what things are truly important. And even though you may not like people necessarily, you learn to be gracious with them. You learn not to pop off at your folks or at your spouse or grandparents or parents. You learn to be different. You put on Christ. You see, it's the whole idea of following Jesus is learning to be like him. So you give up your freedom in following Jesus and then you submit to the teachings of Jesus. So, when God says, control yourself, what he really means is, let me have control of your life. And he doesn't make you do any of this. He just says, this is what I want you to do. And the crazy thing is, the very things that you want in life, peace, solid relationships, a purpose for your life, and the ability to feel satisfied, those are the things that come when you give up your own desires and your own freedom And you follow God. And it's not necessarily an easy thing. And it surely isn't what's going to be good in our culture. You know, in our culture, I'm going to say this, you live in a pagan culture. Everybody understand that? Pagan means it's not oriented towards Christ. We live in a pagan culture. As pagan as any culture you've ever read about. Watch TV. Watch the media presentations. See the big stars. The first thing they have to do when they become a star is take off their clothes. Have you noticed that? I don't understand that, but that's the way it is. Just knocks me over, I can't believe it. What I used to have to go, when I was a little kid, I would go to the store and look at the magazines and some of you guys did that too, just so you could see a girl in a bikini. And now, my gosh, you watch TV or you watch a halftime show or something like that, all you see is half-naked women shaking it, right? And that's our culture. We are in a pagan culture. Everything about our culture is pagan and oriented towards sexuality and sensuality and all those kinds of things and pursuing things of the flesh. Sometimes it comes dressed up as pretty nice stuff, not just sexuality but money. You're aware of the fact that gambling is now legal and our culture, and it's becoming a thing. You know, 30, 40 years ago when gambling was coming to the city through the boats and things, it was was seen as an evil because of the destruction it does towards people's lives. And now, even governors are pushing it and putting money on bets. And of course, half the commercials on TV are now driven by the gambling industry. And you need to understand that they are not your friend. You know what the gambling company wants? Your money. How much of your money do they want? All of it. They will loan you more at incredibly high interest so you can get even more in debt. You've seen the commercials. Folks, they are not your friend. That is the kind of thinking that is of the world. That if you do this, you'll have fun, you'll win big, you'll have more money, and on and on it goes. It's a lie. And it's a lie from hell because they will destroy you. Have you ever noticed on the commercials now, if you can get away from watching Kevin Hart be funny... And I try to mute those commercials because I'm tired of him being funny. If you mute those commercials, read the fine print. If you have a problem gambling, call us. We will help you. No, they won't. They'll send you to a counselor, but they will not tell you, quit gambling. They'll say, keep it under control. But the only reason you would call them for help is because you can't keep it under control. See, this idea of getting... Something for nothing of winning big money and of being happy because you've won a bunch of cash You've seen the commercials folks. That's a lie. It doesn't work that way It's exactly what Paul was talking about gambling isn't new Get-rich-quick schemes aren't new women exposing themselves isn't new The idea that there's something for nothing or that you can get stuff from this world and be happy folks. That's old news And this is exactly what was hurting the Christians in the early church. They were, guess what, just like us, struggling against sin. So, when God says, control yourself, on screen, follow Jesus. When you are tempted by those things, regardless of what it is, if it doesn't lead you to a better relationship with God, God says, control yourself, meaning, submit to God's leadership on screen is a passage of Scripture. Read this with me if you would. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. See, Jesus is saying, listen, if you really want a kind of life that will bless you, that God can bless and, will, and it will please you and fulfill your heart, then lay down your life and take up your cross, the cross of obedience and submission to God. You see, it's a paradox. It doesn't make any sense. When a non-Christian hears it, they say, well, that's stupid. And it is crazy. It's foolish, actually. But it is the foolishness that leads to life, Scripture says. Fools for Christ is a biblical phrase. It means you understand that what normal people think is wrong, but in Christ there is a different way of thinking. The largest act of self control is to give over control of your life to God. It seems like loss, but is really gain. And on screen is this idea when we give God control of our lives, we are able to gain that sense of control that will bring us life and joy. You will hear people say, I feel like my life is out of control. You have said that. You've done things that make you feel like your life is out of control. The only response in those situations is to ask God, help me. And what he will do is that as you lay down your desires and you begin to follow him, he will give you over time that sense of control over life. Now, he's not going to fix all your problems today. He's not going to make anything necessarily easier right now. But over time, God helps you. He enables you to say no to some things and yes to other things. He will nudge you towards people that can help you. We want to be free. The paradox of freedom is when you're absolutely free, you will make bad choices. You will. Don't hold your hand up. How many of you in freedom have made really bad choices in life? Every one of us. Don't look around. You know who we are. Every one of us. That's what we do. Hopefully, and this is the goal, we get to a place in life where we don't do those things anymore and yet, I keep waiting for that to happen to me, you know, and I'm not going to tell you what choices I make that aren't really good, but you do them, so do I. We all struggle against those things, and the goal is to be so submissive to God that those things that hurt us will no longer be a part of our lives, that instead of doing those things that honor our desires, we do the things that God wants us to do. A godly life is a life that is submitted to God. Not necessarily religious, but spiritually oriented. So on screen are some things we can do. Very practical things that God gives us. When God says, control yourself, these are the things he's talking about. Look at verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. My daddy used to call it getting your mind out of the gutter. And you know what I mean? Anybody ever heard that? Get your mind out of the gutter. You know what I mean. Not just sexuality, that's part of it. But things that you do and pe- things that you see and, and the way you talk, that really isn't something that honors God. And you just have to learn what that is sometimes. You know, I'll be honest with you, people don't always understand the differences between godliness and ungodliness. And they have to learn. And that's a process of discipleship where God teaches them from Scripture. Get your mind out of the gutter simply means don't think on the things of this world when the world pushes something at you. Like sexuality or gambling or alcohol and other addictions, then look at it closely and try not to think about those things. James said, and he was a pretty smart guy, he was a very simple talking person. He said, this is the way sin works. You think of something and it looks good. And you think about it for a long time and each time you think about it, it looks a little bit better. He said, you gotta be careful because what happens is, and he explains this in the book of James, that something that looks good to you, you think about it a lot, and then you start toying with the idea. And then you start making plans. And this may happen over a few days, it may happen over a few years. He said, be careful because when you make those plans, you may actually carry them out. So look at yourself. Look at what consumes your thoughts. Look at the plans that you're making in life. doesn't matter whether you tell anyone or not. Get your mind out of the gutter. Try to think about those things and dwell on those things that God can honor. How can I help someone else? How can I honor God? What kind of books would God want me to read when you sit down to watch a movie? Is it one of those that flashes a lot of skin in front of you? Well, get your mind out of the gutter. You have to learn to deprive yourself of some of those pleasures in order that the pleasure of faith can be yours. Go verse 5 again, if you would. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality impurity passion evil desire greed which amounts to idolatry everything the world offers he repeats this theme over and over because the world offers you a lot of stuff and in pagan cultures like ours and like the culture at Colossae in Roman culture there were a lot of worldly pleasures and they were just out there and they look so good the beautiful people engaged in those things and we have videos and internet and all those kinds of things and if we do, just do those things we'll be happy and so on and so forth Paul says choose a better way make a conscious decision to control your life to subject the control of your life to the teachings of scripture and then in verses 10 and 11 look at this if you would You've put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. So the ultimate goal is for you to become like Jesus. I explained to someone earlier today, God wants you to be like Jesus, the second Adam. You remember the story of Adam, right? He messed it up, big time. He and Abe just, they are the model for failure and every one of us follow them. And then Jesus came along and he lived without sin and he lived that perfect life without sin and he did the things that God wanted and so Paul called him the second Adam. That's what God wants from us and God can enable us to become the second Adam like that in terms of living a life that honors God And allows God to work within us and bless us. We all want God's blessings. We want the relationships that are healthy. We want the ability to have satisfaction in this life. And those are the things that God promises. He doesn't promise you wealth and riches. He doesn't promise you're going to get everything you want. But what he does promise is, I will be with you. And I will give you joy. And in hard times, I will give you comfort and strength. So this lifestyle when you follow Jesus and you engage in the do's and don'ts like we've talked about and you allow God to work within you, God begins to change you and makes you different. You'll still be you. You'll look the same. But you'll be different. It takes a lifetime. But who you are right now does not have to be who you are for the rest of your life. Your past does not identify you. And it doesn't have to hold you back. You can move on and become different and become better. On screen is a final thought. Read this with me. When you learn to submit to God's teachings, you will begin to change and your life will be better. God is with you. And folks, that's just a promise. There aren't many promises that people are gonna make you. You can win money, gambling, It will not necessarily make you happy. It might make you pay your bills. It might give you a stronger addiction towards gambling. You never know. The promises that our culture offers you are fleeting. First of all, they're not going to last. And second, sometimes they're just lies. Instead, trust the promises that are from God. Follow me. Follow Jesus. Let me work on your life. And Paul called it the peace which passes all understanding can be yours. Jesus knew that we would need help to remember all this. So he said go to church and things like that. And then he said this to Christians, when you get together and you eat a meal, this is what I want you to do. When you take bread, remember that it symbolizes my flesh crucified for you. When you drink wine together, remember that it symbolizes my blood shed on the cross for you. And remember that as Christians you're not just nice people you're people who are being transformed by the image of God as God works within you so today we share communion it's for people who want to follow Jesus if you've made that decision to follow Jesus join us and celebrate the fact that God has saved you if you are interested in becoming Christian join us this meal is for you too why don't you stand with me the deacons are gonna come and get in their place You don't have to be a member of this church or anything like that to take this meal with us. It is a celebration of what God has done and it is invitation that God might continue to work in our lives. I'll pray and then what you do, you come forward and get your cup and go back and, and fiddle with it. And if you see someone who's having trouble fiddling, help them. I know it's hard. Pray with me please. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence and for this faith that can make a difference in our lives. Help us to be submissive to you, Father. We pray for the freedom in Christ that brings blessings and service. Use this meal to strengthen our ties to Christ and to each other, to remind us of what we have in Jesus, and give us courage to share this faith with other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul tells the story. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took a cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul explains for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes what you've just done was really very controversial for several decades it was maligned as a love feast that's what the early Christians called it so people made it out to be some kind of sexual orgy in order to take away from what it was because they saw the church as a threat because the church stood against of what was so much a part of that very pagan culture You've seen it really isn't about the world at all. It is about the relationship you and I have with each other in Christ. We take this meal because we're Christian. We don't claim to be better than others. We claim to be better than we used to be. And that's the goal, isn't it? Not to be better than somebody else, but to be better than me, to be better than you, to be better than self. And in losing that old self, you gain your true selves And in that, there is freedom. Nate is going to lead us in a closing hymn of invitation and commitment. Why don't you stand with me as he comes and leads us. Make those decisions that will allow God to have more influence in your life. If you'd like to make something public, you can if you come forward and talk to me. Amen. In a closing prayer.
1: Thank you. Awesome.
0: Pray with me, please. As we depart this place, we're entering a mission field. It doesn't have to be a big deal going to Africa. It could be a neighbor, could be a stranger, but we need to share Jesus through words and deeds. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.